Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 225 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And I know we just released an episode yesterday, but we're back because I wanted to do a deep dive on church growth. And last week, we brought you an extra episode featuring our all-time most downloaded episode, a rebroadcast. But this one's brand new. This one's fresh. Uh, Last week, we talked about breaking the 200, 400, 800, 1,000 barrier. This week, we're going to go into a similar sphere. Uh, But these guys have done it all the way to 5,000 people. But we spend the majority of the interview, just before you go like, I don't have a category for that. Um, We spend the majority of of this conversation talking about the first 30, the first 100, the first 150, the first 200, then up to 400. Because you know what? Those are the hardest barriers to crack. And Joshua Gagnon and Daniel King know it firsthand. And so we completely geek out. Like this is like a get your notebook uh, and understand you're not alone. And the pressures that you're facing are the pressures that they faced. And they tell you where they struggled and how they overcame the barriers, including disappointing the congregation, telling people, yes, I used to hang out with you, but I can't hang out with you anymore. All that stuff that keeps churches from growing We go into the weeds on that one in this episode. So I really think you're going to enjoy it. So uh, we're doing it because we are talking a lot in all of my channels, on my blog, on my podcast, about breaking church growth barriers. Because it's not about breaking the barrier per se. You know what it's about? It's about reaching the potential that you have as a leader and reaching your community with the good news of Jesus. And literally thousands of pastors have come to me over the years with this exact problem. You see new faces at your church, but the attendance numbers come in the same week after week. So you float at 75. Even though you had three new families, three months later, you're still at 75. Or maybe it's 150 or 250. It's almost like you've got a bucket, but it's got holes in it. And it doesn't matter how much water you pour into a bucket with holes in it. It's it's never going to get more full. You just can't break past that number. And what is that? Well, the good news is, If you're anything like those pastors I've worked with, there is an answer. There is a way to go into detail. So obviously in this conversation, we talk about it, but I've got a course called uh, the Breaking 200 course, and it has now helped over a thousand churches learn what they need to do to move past the 200 barrier. And we hear from people all the time. I was listening uh, or reading an email earlier this week uh, from a guy who said, man, we were about 150. Now we're th- we did the course. Now we're 300 and we are marching toward 500. It just like, boom, lifts the ceiling. And all of a sudden you're keeping the people that before you were losing. Just so you know, you can learn more at breaking200course.com. But this is the lowest price. This is like the last 48 hours before the price goes up. So uh, next week, the price will be going up. You can find out more at breaking200course.com. And because I understand small church dynamics, I've been there. This is the only course I offer that comes with 12 licenses because you're going to want to run your board through it or your team through it. So it it breaks down to less than 20 bucks a person. Okay, so just head on over to breaking200course.com. I want to help you break through the barriers that don't need to be there. And in the meantime, why don't I dive into the conversation 
with Josh Gagnon and Daniel King, who are two of the founders of Next Level Church all over New England and probably soon coming to a community near you. Well, Josh and Daniel, welcome or welcome back to the podcast. Great to have you guys today. Absolutely honored to be here. Thank you so much. So Josh, you're a frequent flyer here on the podcast, vying for one of our most popular and frequent guests of all time. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I've been working really hard, really hard <laughs> at that. Just really put that as my life achievement goal, is I want to be the most frequently listened to person on the carry new that, that's like your twitter bio yeah that's what goes well i mean listen you've made it big if you can get on the christian world's largest podcast you you've done something okay with your life <laughs> well it's really good to have you here and you we but what we're doing today is we're kind of exposing the reality because we brought daniel king on and mm. really when you look behind the scenes he's kind of responsible for everything isn't he he is. He's been here from the very beginning. He was our first staff member ever. I remember he called me up, Carrie, and he said, uh, I just attended the church on our on our anniversary. I'm, I live in Arizona. We came to Boston for our, our anniversary celebration. I attended Next Level Church, and I wanted to know, are you hiring? Because I really loved it. And I laughed and said, I'm not even hired yet. <laughs> and he said, what if what if I raise my, my own support? And I said, you had me at raised raise your own support. And so he was our first ever staff member and somehow he's he's put up with me till till now. I know we talked to you about, probably put up with me. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I know <laughs> we talked about that offline, but I want you to tell people like what was going through your mind because next level church was not like ten thousand locations and uh, a large mega church at the time. It was, you know, a guy trying to start something who by your own Accord, Josh said, I didn't really have any training. I didn't know what I was doing. We had no money. So it was perfect conditions for the launch of a church. Like, what made you say that other than the Holy Spirit, who I'm sure was involved? Yeah, I think I think it was mostly that. Might have been like a bad dinner the night before. I'm not really sure of the, the details. Uh, I mean, a lot of the credit goes to my wife, honestly. She She looked at me after church that day and said, literally said, God was talking to you. Like, I'll never forget the train ride we were on going into Boston for the rest of the day. And she's like, God was talking to you. And I kind of did the the typical, you know, what, what do you mean? Like playing it off kind of thing. And um, yeah, she, she gets a lot of the credit for that really. And I think the thing that was the most attractive and the most appealing was just the, the willingness to be so authentic. Mm-hmm. Like even just the communication from stage that day, the people you met in the lobby and, and all those things, just people were just being real. And I think that was the most appealing thing, the most different thing. What were you doing at the time? Like, what was your day job? I was a youth pastor way, way out in Arizona. I was a youth pastor. Yeah. He came to next level when, um, when we were what, a couple of weeks old. Uh, that visit was week two, week so. two ever. We didn't of course know that when we walked mm-hmm. in the door, but it was week two ever, so it definitely wasn't like the the fancy light show or the fog machine that was the attractive part. <laughs> if you like, if you like Christmas lights as a backdrop, we were the place for you. <laughs> hey, that's trendy. Now. And when I say Christmas lights, I mean like Christmas tree lights. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you meeting, Josh? Where did you launch? Yeah, we were at a, in a, and we were in a high school, and it sat eight hundred people, and we had about thirty to forty adults on a great weekend, and I. And I can remember just feeling as if it was so, just so awkward. And I wasn't smart enough to pipe and drape the room. 
I didn't know how to shrink it. So it actually felt like there were humans there. And so when he came, I can remember looking out and he was just one of the few families and and we we wanted, you know, first time guest and he was a young family. And I was like, oh my goodness, there's a young family here. And <laughs> I remember right where he sat, I could I could bring you to the exact seat because I mean, it's not hard to recognize, you know, two out of 20 people. And I I went down after and I'll never forget. I was like, all right, land this young family. <laughs> and I, I was like, land the plane, Gagnon, land it. And I said, uh, hey, man, how are you? And I'll never forget, he said, good, man, we're visiting from Arizona. And every ministry leader listening, they know that feeling where it's like, oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I'm done so with I, you. I've got to like, go find oh, someone else. Exactly. Exactly. There's got to be somebody else I can talk to. And and so, yeah, that's that was the end of the conversation. And, and next thing I said, next thing I knew, like I said, he called, asked for a job. I was only getting paid $100 a week on weeks that we broke $1,000 in giving. Um, and, uh, I laughed. I said, we, we are not in. So actually you came on staff, raised all your own support. And I you was were getting, getting paid more than you. Yeah, you were the, you were that's, getting a, paid. that's a true story. That's, that's awesome. a true, that's a true story. I just knew you were supposed to raise funds. I think that's what it was. Yeah. So that was the beginning, man, of, uh, of, of our, of our days with, with him. That's why it's such an honor to have him on here with me. I think a lot of times, Certain people, you know, certain names will get the credit, right? Yeah. The lead pastor of the church. But the truth is, is, and you know this, Carrie, the truth is, is, is without the Daniel Kings within our worlds, man, we, we, we are, we are a mess. And so Daniel King clearly, and no exaggeration, is much smarter and wiser than I am in many of the things we're going to be talking about. Well, I'm glad to have you both on. You guys are both friends. And so it was fun to start that way. You know what I did not know? I knew it was small beginnings. I did not know it was an 800-seat auditorium. So, oh, oh dude, that's like, there, that's death. There's some unbelievable story. There's some unbelievable stories. Not only was it 800 seats, but like, how often would you say they kicked us out to the middle school? Like once every four or five weeks, they'd just be like, oh, by the way, next weekend you have to move. And so we had to somehow tell everybody that we we're moving, find a new way to set up our stage, was, our equipment. It was, it was quite the adventure at the beginning. Yeah, Church planting at its finest. <laughs> we're talking about breaking church growth barriers, and I wanted to talk to both of you because you've had a lot of experience with it. So principle one in your church planting book when it comes out, Josh, do not launch a church in an 800-seat auditorium with 30 or 40 people. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's chapter exactly. one. Uh, so we've already, principle one. we've already got that lesson uh, nailed. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you didn't stay at 30 or 40 people. So catch us up. Here we are uh, toward the end of 2018. Next Level Church is how old now? You guys 10? 10 years 10? old. I thought so. 10 years old, so, oh, yeah, double digit. to 2018, so we've grown a little bit past 30 people. What are you at these days yeah. on a typical weekend? How many locations, uh, how many states? Fill us in. Yeah, we've got uh, nine locations, soon to be 10. We are across four different states from the nor- northeast uh, to Florida. We had uh, 10 locations recently, but we closed one down yeah. based on our new structure and modeling as far as making sure, and I think we'll talk a little bit about it, but making sure locations are at a certain size where they're able to do what it is they're required to do to perform the vision and live in the expectation right. of the leadership. And so uh, we could talk about that in a little bit. But um, so yeah, nine locations, soon to be 10 across four states, anywhere from, well, depends on the weekend you're asking, uh, but anywhere from four 
4,000, 5,000 people in attendance. That's awesome. That's incredible. And yeah. in an area where mega churches don't grow, where they were really, you guys were kind of the first, right? Like, and I mean, we're talking about centuries. Yeah, we, I think we're definitely one of the first churches, if not the first church in the Northeast to, to use video teaching as a 100% method at a location. Um, you know, Pastor Gordon McDonald, who I know mm-hmm. we both admire, pastored, I think, probably the first mega church in New England, which was um, Grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly there's, there's not too many, which you would clarify or, or define as a mega church, 2,000 or more people in, in the Northeast. Yeah. And so we're honored to... We're on to reach people. We've done it in a little bit of a different way. We didn't grow one location to a mega church. We really spread out and reached a bunch of different regions in order to be able to call ourselves a mega church. So sometimes I feel like I'm cheating. Right. But no, I mean, that's great. And you're in Vermont, New Hampshire. Wait, no. You're in Vermont. Let me guess. Are you in New York State? Too? No. Yeah. New York, uh, Massachusetts, Houston. New Hampshire, and Florida. Florida. It's incredible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. When we started, we uh, a funny, a little bit of a funny backstory that uh, I may have mentioned before, but we didn't even. I had no clue that we were in an unchurched region when we started because I had never read a church. I had never read a church planting book. I'd never been to a church bigger than two two hundred people, so I had no clue the odds were against me, which I I often like to thank God for because my faith wasn't already in question based on statistics. So I had no idea what what, what we were up against and. Um, and here we are today. And so I didn't know we were starting in a tough area, and God's been faithful, and God's been good. And So a church of four or 5,000 people, nine, soon to be 10 locations, over a decade in a heavily unchurched area where 97, 98% of people don't go to church, uh, in an area where historically churches haven't grown. And that's a pretty cool story. And you guys have tons of spade work in figuring out how to crack church growth barriers, and you had to go through all of them. So I'd love to go back to the launch. We already talked a little bit about it, but in those early days, how did you manage to break the 200 barrier for the first time? Because it wasn't on Sunday yeah, one a- or two, was it? <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, I, I think it's possible that we might have hit it the first Christmas. We didn't even know enough to actually like write things down and count all the <laughs> all the data and stuff back then. We were actually talking about it before we started recording. Did we hit 200 on Christmas? We're not sure. <laughs> but the time when we know we we really went over it was was Easter of one year. Mm-hmm. So we had launched on Easter, and then that first year on Easter is when we we know for sure that we we really crossed over that. And so we had been called by that school we were talking about with the 800-seat auditorium, and they they had literally told us um, – you're, you're going to have to not meet here anymore. And we're like, oh, that's cool. And that was probably three weeks before Easter, maybe. And Yeah, I remember we were actually at a conference yeah, down south. Out of town, yeah. And they said, over the next five weeks, you can't be in the school. There's things going on. Man. And we thought, what in the world are we going to do? And so from, from the Carolinas, we started making phone calls, and that's when we moved Next Level Church to a movie theater for the first time. And that's where we would meet for the next several years uh, however, that first Easter, we did a campaign called uh, Phony Faith, Faith, PhonyFaith.com, <laughs> and we put out all the, we put out all these signs, and we did some marketing. Now, when I say a lot of marketing, we were put you know putting together every penny we had, and we did out PhonyFaith.com, and on that website, we just talked about how you know far too often we see people with phony faith, so on and so forth, and we used that, and that would be the first time that we ever broke for real 200 people. 
And man, you would have thought, I mean, it looks so big. Revival. Oh, it looks so great. Yeah, I was like, don't stop us now, baby. But it took a year. And, uh, you know, which is actually relatively fast in church planting circles. Were you expecting it would be a just add water thing when you launched it? Like, did you think you would grow faster? Yeah, yeah. In the entire journey, I've thought we would grow faster. Uh, I was texting with our executive team the other day, and I said that if you would have told me that we'd be here 10 years in on day one, I would have been amazed. However, this entire journey, I've always felt disappointed by the pace. Mm. And so, yeah, I think I think I've always felt disappointed in the pace. When the dream in your heart is large, it's really hard to be content in the building of that dream because you see the you see the big dream in your heart. Yet God's called us to be faithful step by step in in order to seeing that dream come to reality. And so, yeah, that's the problem with the visionary carry. You know this. It's like we see it. We see it in our heart, right? We're like, man, I know what it's gonna be. I know what God's gonna do. Yet we have to every every weekend with our eyes look at something that doesn't quite look like what we see in our heart. So that's always always been a difficulty for me. Daniel, when you look at that first year and you think about how you structured it, what are some things that you did well that you think helped you respond to the growth that did come your way? And what are some things that you're like, man, we kind of blew that? <laughs> yeah, I think I don't think we had a lot of structure in that first year. I think the the biggest thing we had going for us was just simply a willingness to work, mm. like just uh, like pastor had said before, like there was no expectation like, oh, we're in a hard place, so it's going to be slow and steady. It was just, we all just felt like God called us to do this. And so why wouldn't it grow? And we just got to do our part and it's going to grow. And it was probably a few years before we started to really like meet somebody at a conference and people be like, oh, that's not supposed to happen in New Hampshire. Like that's <laughs> like, we really didn't ha- have that idea at the beginning. So we just it was just grit. It was just aggression. It was just passion. Like it was just an unwillingness to accept this weekend. We're not going to grow. And so constant just marketing, yeah. uh, digging a new ditch every week. Yeah. It's not a structure or a system carry, but I grew up in, in, in churches where we would pray for God to do the miraculous and we would pray for growth, but we didn't really do much in order to prepare for that growth. And I can remember always thinking, I'm never going to be a pastor that expects God to do something that I didn't dig a ditch for him to fill with rain. Mm. Like, if I'm going to expect God to do something this weekend, I'm going to have a shovel. I think when God gives you a dream, he hands it to you with a shovel. (laughs) And that shovel is for us to dig ditches. And so I think Daniel's, we have a lot of structures and systems now that help us. But back in the early days, it was simply grit. It was the unwillingness. It's the unwillingness to accept it isn't going to work. It was the the unwillingness to accept that failure was a possibility. We worked hard. What we lacked in intelligence, what we lacked in experience, we made up for in just, just grit. Effort. Effort. Yep. Yeah. yeah. When you look at um, the things that you were doing, Josh, as the lead pastor, you were doing, Dan, as sort of, you know, you've morphed into the operations role as the church has grown— what were some things like who like think about pastoral care? Think about um, who's building into the volunteers. Was it a flat structure, or were you starting to specialize in roles already when you were sub two hundred in launch days? Yeah, I think one of the ways we broke two hundred was was we started to hand things away and mm-hmm. start to create a culture 
where other people were able to fulfill needs, not just me. But I do think early on, I was fulfilling a lot of a lot of the needs, a lot of the roles. And Daniel was counting the giving, and you were actually leading our kids ministry. Oh. Which, my goodness, we should we we sh- it should have it <laughs> should have, have ended. Been the, end, right? <laughs> <laughs> the church should have just flopped. That was it. Right. Daniel's a figures, numbers, statistic. He went to he went to college for economics for the listeners to understand this personality. We put him in kids. Um, that was just all, that was all we had. But but yeah. um, I, I think that it was pretty much me doing a lot. And then as we started to recognize the need for growth, we started to build the organization, the church, in a way where where many people were wearing the hats of responsibility. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a difficult transition for for both sides, I think, like as a, as a lead pastor, you're the parent of that child. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's the same as like releasing your kid to that first day of kindergarten or letting somebody else care for them a little bit. So I, I know we talked tons of times back then about how hard it was for you to sometimes trust other people to do things and make decisions without checking with you. And, and good. Yeah. And I cared so much about what people thought I used to hear. I used to hate when I heard people saying stuff like, oh, he's too big time for us now, or, oh, he doesn't have time or, oh, he, we have to talk to his assistant. And I actually used to feel really, really insecure and almost, almost just dumb in a way, if I can even say like, oh, talk to my assistant. It just felt very awkward to, to people. And I had talked early on with um, Craig Rochelle, who I know we're both, both friends with. And he said, he, I said, how do I make this transition? He said, pastor the people at the level they came into the ministry. And so if you were their pastor and if you would have done, if you did their wedding, you should do their funeral. If you were counseling them, continue to counsel them. But draw a line in the sand. At some point, when anybody comes into the ministry from this point forward, they're under the care of somebody else. But that doesn't mean you can just now say, everybody I've been caring for, the heck with you, find somebody new. No, pastor the people at the level they entered the ministry. I've heard you say that consistently, and, and I didn't know you got that from Craig. Isn't that interesting? That's good. Well, I've been taking credit for it. Uh, as long as I <laughs> could, <laughs> busted. Did you? Did you know? Just Daniel, I know you. You, you want to chime in here, but just while I got Josh, oh, go where was that line? Was that at like a hundred people, hundred and fifty, two hundred people? Because that's what we're nerding out about on this episode. Do you remember roughly? I, I think, I think it was. I think it needs to probably start around a hundred and fifty. Yeah. However, it needs to be in position to break two hundred. Yeah. You know, a hundred people, I think, is still small enough where people expect. And it also, it also, I'm having a thought as I'm speaking. It it does depend a little bit, Carrie, on the size of the room, in the yeah. size of the the feel of the of the location, right? So if you're in an auditorium with with 100 people and it seats a thousand, it feels small enough where where the pastor should be able to take care of everything. Mm-hmm. But once you get into a smaller room and it feels like something big is happening, it changes the perspective of what people expect, right? If 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 you go into an environment in a concert and it seats you know two hundred people and it's packed out, you don't necessarily expect to meet the band. Mm-hmm. But if you go into an auditorium of a thousand and there's thirty people sitting there, you think there's probably a good chance I'm going to be able to talk to the band <laughs> yeah. and get to know I'll the band. I'll help them pack up when it's over, right? <laughs> exactly. So I, I don't know if it's always just the actual number, more or less the momentum and feel that the location of the church is in the midst of. I think momentum is key, too. Daniel, what would you add to that? From the opposite perspective, it's hard, too. Like, I, I grew up in a church world where where the senior pastor is is kind of always right. Like, that's not spoken out loud. That's not the idea, right? But just he's 
this person who like, I want to be like him. I strive to be like him. And they're kind of on a pedestal. And and I don't think that most senior pastors are intending that. I just think it's the culture of of the church world, at least that I grew up in. And so carrying that, I guess you might say baggage or whatever in into this world, it's hard to feel like you can make decisions and step in and not ask permission for everything and not go into those things. So I think those two tensions com- combine with each other to make it really difficult. And I think that's why a lot of churches struggle to to get a lot of momentum at that initial point because nobody really allows for that that spreading out wider um, so the foundation can can be there to grow past that point. I think that's a good point. Sometimes, Daniel, you know, senior pastors will want that kind of authority or respect at, at every level or even input at every level. But sometimes the staff really feel, because most people come from a small church context, well, of course he has to be involved. Of course she has to give her approval, you know, and and that's not always the case. You said something really interesting, Josh. I mean, kind of sarcastically or, or you know, uh, sarcastic isn't the right word, but it's like some people are like, oh, look at you now, you know, too big for me. And we used to be important to you, but now we're not. Man, I think that's almost a universal thing that people run into. Um, how much pushback did you get and how did you guys tackle that? Yeah, we got quite a bit of pushback. I think every church that faces that decision will always receive pushback. Like you said, I think it's universal. Mm -hmm. However, this vision has never been for sale. And where we were going to end up has never been a question in our hearts. We have always been very confident that God was going to grow this to the place of influence, that it had to be beyond one man's influence. It had to be beyond one man's ability. And so I can remember early on hearing those conversations and feeling so horrible that so-and-so might move on because they can't come over to my house for dinner. So-and-so wants to meet you in the lobby and, and, and having to say, well, they can meet the location pastor. That's their shepherd right now. I can remember feeling so horrible in those moments. However, Carrie, it is impossible to get to the next stage of ministry that God's called us in if I continue to remain the lid that holds us back. I think sometimes almost un, almost almost subconsciously as leaders, we are the actual lid holding us back from the dream that God's put in our heart. In in pushing through those lids are going to cause us to step in uncomfortable territory. And that was just something I had to be willing to do. And and now I look and I'm thankful. You know, I I haven't been to to seven or eight of our locations more than one or two times. We have a church that is clearly built on the gifts of men and women that are not me. And that's a wonderful feeling because there's no there's no greater feeling than knowing that God's kingdom is much greater than me. And I love that feeling. I, I sincerely love that. Early on, I probably wanted to feel a little bit important. I think now I'm pretty excited when I know that I've been I've had the opportunity to start something that's much larger than my name. Hmm. How did you did some of those people who were upset because they wanted to meet with you personally? Did they tend to stick around, or did you tend to lose a good chunk of them? Yeah, I think we tended to lose a big chunk of them. Typically, people have an expectation of what they think church should be, and they're going to find what it is they expect church to be. And we've become okay with that. We recognize that we haven't been called to reach everybody, but we have been called to reach some. And our staff is very confident. Matter of fact, for instance, we're shutting down one of our Saturday night experiences because at a certain location, we have three different days where we do experiences, and we just feel like that's just hard on teams. 
And so we said, let's shut down one day. And we stood up on that Saturday and said, there's a church up the road that has Saturday nights, and we'd love for you to go there if, if, if you're looking for a Saturday night. We're just not going to do it here any longer. We were getting all sorts of people saying, I can't come any other day. I can't believe you'd shut Saturday. We had to focus on the health of our teams. And this kind of goes back to that heart, carry, where we're just okay understanding that there are going to be decisions that we make that are not going to be popular, but ultimately they're going to be in the best interest of furthering this vision and truly accomplishing what God's called us to accomplish over the next 30 years. And so uh, we supported the church up the road and and um, and we're okay if people move on. We, we really are. We're okay because we do believe that that these decisions will help us be ultimately more influential for God's kingdom. Daniel, anything else you can think of as you look at that first year as you guys were growing and starting to hit that 200 ceiling that honestly 85% of churches never get through? So even as associate staff or congregational dynamics, what else did you kind of have to push through to get past 200? Yeah, I think one of the best lessons that that I ever learned was one that the pastor taught me. And as far as I know, I think he thought it up in his own his own head. And um, it was just the idea that some people are, are pillars mm-hmm. and other people aren't. Like some people are just not Staging. that not that they're going to be um, not that you're using the people. That's not the the correct sense of it. But that some people just aren't going to be there forever. Yeah. Like you put up the staging around the house so that you can reach the higher level to put the roof on, but then the staging comes down once the roof is on. It doesn't stay there permanently. And it's the same idea with some people. You just have to be okay with the fact that sometimes some people are going to leave in those seasons, and it feels so personal in the moment. It feels like they're rejecting you or you, you know, or him or whoever. It feels like they're rejecting the person, but they're really not. There's some people who just, they really like 80-person churches. And so when you get past 80 people, guess what? They're going to go look for the next church that's not 80 people yet because that's what they enjoy. Yeah, and I would say that I did not come up with that, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a former guest, Matt Keller. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that's actually— <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I, haven't come up, I haven't come up with anything. That's what I'm trying to explain to people. <laughs> but, I read uh, a chapter but, from but, a future uh, book of yours. You've, you've got a few ideas. You've you got a few thank ideas, you. my the, friend. The— um, you said 85% of churches never break this 200 barrier. And man, it just, what popped out to me was maybe it's because we're not willing to face the pain that we're talking about right now in order to overcome that 200 barrier. Because because what we're talking about is a shift in mentality. We're talking about a shift in thinking, a shift in the church's culture, a shift in influence. We're talking at that number. There's a lot of changes that have to take place. And so if 85% of churches can't break 200, it could be because we're just don't know how or aren't willing to face the pain that it takes to culturally, systematically change the organization in order to overcome that number. Oh, I, I think that's a great insight, Josh. And uh, it is painful. I mean, I remember, and, and regular listeners will know I've talked about that before, about my own journey. And it's really hard because you have to be misunderstood. And to be fair to the people in your church, you said something like, Daniel, you said, hey, if they are used to a church of 80 people, they're going to go find a church of 80 people. And when you're 160 or 250 or whatever it is, you don't feel like home anymore. The reality is if 85% of churches are 200 people or less, then the vast majority of people who come from another church are not going to have any idea like they, you think about those first 200 people, they had no idea what a church of a thousand felt like or church of 4,000 over nine, 10 locations in multiple states. Like, so it's not fair as a visionary 
to sometimes expect them to get that intuitively. Of course, they're not going to get that. Absolutely. So it gives you empathy for people too, right? And how, how did you bring, because you didn't lose everybody, how did you bring, let's say I'm going to argue the majority of people with you past that 200 barrier? What did you do to make sure not everybody left? Yeah, clearly, as you said, a, a large majority did come along for the journey. We just continue to keep the why out in front of yeah. people. And so I continue to explain to somebody when they would say, can I have coffee with you? Can we meet for coffee? I would keep the why out in front. Instead of saying, speak to my assistant, I would say, man, I would love to do that. Mm. However, we have a location pass with this location that we have empowered to have those meetings because it is impossible for me to be able to have coffee with everybody here. And we believe that we're going to reach a lot more people, allowing many more people to be the shepherds, to be the pastors, to be the leaders at this location. And so we kept the why out. One of the things I think we've done well, maybe you would agree, Daniel, is we keep the why out in front of what it is we do. We don't just we don't just make decisions that are that are that that come without reasoning. We make sure that whenever we make a decision, we teach the why. For instance, most of our locations, except one of them, are are video. All we all weekend long, one hundred percent video teaching. Well, that's not too popular at the beginning, especially in an unchurched region. The why is, and, and I'm not I'm not saying this. I'm I'm using this as an example, Carrie. The why, the reason people have bought into it is because I stand up and I say, if it takes me fifteen minutes to write a message, we have ten locations. If you do ten times. 15 hours, if every location pastor wrote a message, that's 150 hours. It could take me alone 15 hours. Do you realize, people, we've just freed up this many more ministry hours to reach our communities? And people start rallying around the what? The why? This is for us to free up, to steward God's money, to reach more people. If we just said we do video because we like it, and we, I'm not sure it would go over as well. But as soon as you teach the why— people rally around it. And so early on, I think we kept the people with us and we have continued to break 200 at all of our locations. I, I, I believe it's because people understand there's a why behind what it is we do. There's a why behind why I, there, be, behind me not meeting with Pastor Josh. There's a why behind him not never being here. There's a why behind it. Yeah. Anything else on that, Daniel? No, I think that, I think that's totally true. I could, as he's talking, I'm thinking of dozens of examples, you know, of times of just things that we did that, um, you know, on the surface, most people maybe wouldn't like or wouldn't initially choose as their preference, you know? And I think even when we did the first multi-site location, it was like, it wasn't benefiting directly anybody in the room because we launched an hour away. The first location was an hour away. So it's not like, oh, this to be closer to my house or anything along those lines. And so it goes back to that same thing. Like, no, why? because we have to reach more people. We have to keep growing. We can't, we can't just stay in this spot. There's no, there's no like, oh, it's okay. We'll just settle here. We'll be comfortable and we'll grow 20 people a year. And, and eventually we'll be able to buy a building and, and grow a couple hundred more. Like, no, that's not an option. Yeah. We can't, we can't be okay with that. The why is there are more people who need to hear about it. And this is a place we can go reach more people. Yeah. I decided early on, Carrie, that I would rather fail than never go after what I believed I was created to do. Yeah. And, I decided early on that I would rather go back to zero and do it again rather than pastor a church of 150 people the rest of my life. Now, not that that's bad, Carrie. Mm -hmm. We understand yeah. that. But I felt I felt with I felt like I was called to launch locations, to start up locations personally, and I may fail in trying. But not trying and giving it all I had to get there wasn't enough. <laughs> One of my mentors in the early days, especially. 
I don't know whether this is going to work, guys, but we're going to go broke trying. Like, if we go broke, we're going to yeah. go broke trying. And people yeah. get that. They, like, you know, when you start with six people, 14 people, 23 people in the original churches, I was called to serve. You know, they're like, we're going to go broke anyway, so we might as well go broke trying, right? And yeah. it's amazing yeah. what God can do with that. It's just, it's outstanding. And that's still that's still our mentality. Yeah. That's still what we say today. We're not going to become fat and slow. We're going to stay skinny and quick. <laughs> That's good. No, now I'm going to get to multi-site in a moment because I really want to drill down on how you launch locations at 200 and above 200 and and that kind of thing. But you all now in the material that we're teaching in the Breaking 200 course, uh, we have a lot of alumni who are saying, "Dude, these things work at 400, 600, 800, a thousand." Some of the principles in there because there are very clear barriers that 200 is a big one pastoral care, access to the pastor. But then what are some of the ones that started to emerge at 400, 600, 800, 1,000 that you had to navigate as well? Yeah, I think I think for me personally, I would say it's the same problems over and over, but it's it's passed down a layer or passed okay. down a level of leadership, right? So, so the same problem that he described of like, can I delegate this to someone else? Can I trust this to someone else? Can I train someone else to do it 80 or 90% as good as I'm doing it? It's the same issue, except now instead of him teaching me, it's can I teach somebody else? Mm-hmm. And that might get you to four or 500 then. And then can I teach that person to be able to teach somebody else? And that might be what it takes to get to a thousand. The, the issues don't change, right? The scale changes, but it ultimately all comes down to can can we develop another set of leaders who can contain the same DNA, who can pass it on even further so that more people can be cared for? Because one person's capacity is still only that 50 or 80 or 100, you know, whatever it is, depending on the person that they can that they can care for. So every time you want to add 100, that's another leader you had to develop or that's another two leaders you had to develop. So I think that's really been our experience is a location can hit that number. Our total collective of all our locations can hit another number only when we've added another layer of of leadership beyond. Good insight. Yeah, it just pushes deeper. And I think the senior leader is the first one to feel that delegation pressure because with a bigger crowd comes higher expectations on the message. Um, pastoral care has to scale out. Did you guys, because I've, I've referenced it, but we haven't really gone there. What was your model for pastoral care other than Pastor Josh goes to visit all the people? What, what, how, did you, how did you handle that? <laughs> yeah, I think one of the best decisions we ever made or that Pastor ever really made was before, when we had one location, we implemented a location pastor. Right. Even before we, even before we launched. It was just like, this yeah, we, is who we're going to be. We become. launched in March. In October 27th of that year, I put in a location pastor who was the shepherd of that location because I knew we were going to be launching locations and I wanted to create a culture and a DNA that our first location could recreate somewhere else. And so just to give a timeline, we launched in March and I was really only the quote unquote shepherd of that location until October. From October on, the location pastor was six months. So in your model at that time or today, does the campus pastor do the pastoral care? Do groups do pastoral care? How does that work? Yeah, our, we, we have groups that um, we really push people into, and we do believe that care happens in those groups. It depends on the size of the mm-hmm. location. And so smaller locations that, you know, location pastor still does a lot of the pastoral care. And when a location hits, breaks 200 or starts hitting up at 400, 600 or bigger, 
you have to start to give away a lot of that, those care responsibilities to whether that's other staff members or, of course, group leaders. Yeah. Yeah. So again, that scales out. Uh, Josh, from your perspective, what were some of the barriers that you ran into as the senior leader at, say, 400, 600, 800? Do you remember? Yeah, I think it's still the same barriers I run in today, which is just what's next? How, how How do I lead at a level I've never led at before? It feels like I'm always leading in a place I've never been. And everybody expects me to have answers to grounds I've never covered. And so I've always been playing catch up. And so I'm not sure it really much has changed. I think, I think it's, it's been easy for me to hand things away because personality wise, I enjoy watching those that I'm leading take on responsibility. One of the things that I'm sure we'll get into is multi-site where I would say that adds a whole nother layer of complications and difficulties. Cause now you're talking about having to keep culture and DNA across many different venues. Yeah. And I would say that that's been one of the hardest or is probably the hardest, the hardest, the hardest thing that we face. And even me, myself as a leader is making sure that our locations are living within the culture and DNA and vision of next level church. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think, I think there's, there's many different models of multi-site, not to jump the gun. There's many different models and sometimes it's more of an overflow seating issue, right? And you're staying around the same large city or the same large community. But for us, like, I mean, we're a three-hour plane ride from one of our locations, but even before that, we're a we're a four-hour drive to our location in New York. We're a two-hour drive to this location. We don't we don't have locations where it's 15, 20 minutes. Everybody can pop into the same office every day, and that's been true since our third or fourth location. We were always at a, at a distance, right? And so we've always had to figure out, and I think are still figuring out to some extent, but always had to continually get better at creating culture maintaining culture, monitoring culture, teaching culture, how do we, whether that's a system, whether that's a person, whether that, you know, there's many ways of going about it. And it's a combination of all of those things really to do it well. How do we keep the DNA so that if you go to the location that's four hours from this location, it feels the exact same. You're experiencing the same, the same love. You're experiencing the same excellence. You're experiencing the same, whatever it is that you value. I feel like you guys just invited yourself back for another hour-long drill down on that point alone, because <laughs> that is massive. And multi-site churches, multi-campus churches really struggle with that. And I mean, I get that. We're only at three locations. I get it. You're trying to replicate. And again, people that you're attracting at your new location have old reference points for what church is, and they're not yours. However, the focus Mm. of this podcast is on uh, smaller church leaders who are trying to break 200, 500. So I want to, that is such a huge flag, but I want to switch gears and talk about launching locations that you know or or hope are going to be at 100 or or 200 rather, 200 or above. Uh, Why do you pick that number, uh, first of all? Yeah, we've had locations that have been under 200 people. And we found it difficult to create the same level of excellence that we required in NLC Kids, right. in our kids' ministry, right. or even the bands to, to, to recreate the same level of excellence that we expect on stage. So, so we felt like that number 200 gives us enough critical mass and really enough people serving and enough talent to pull from that we're able to do what Next Level Church does. And so it was difficult for us— to have a location at 1,000 and a location at 50 and expect them to do the same things 
However, 200 in 1,000, you can do the same thing. It's just going to be uh, on, a, on a small— Less times, le- yeah. yeah. less times, exactly. And is that an attendance number, like including men, women, children, volunteers, that sort of— uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Total So number, once you have a total, total number. number of 200 people in the building on a Sunday morning, it starts to feel viable for you guys. It starts to feel like we can now create an atmosphere that we feel like is best for people to step in and engage what it is we're trying to present. Yeah, we found ourselves feeling like we were asking something that was almost unfair. Like you're going to a location pastor and saying, for example, the standard is you have this certain musicians, all these slots have to be filled. You have to have these certain classrooms operating the kids. We're saying, you have to have that. You don't have it. You have to have it. You have to have it. You have to have it. And you just, it's hard to have 50 people serving if you only have 80 people. It just it just doesn't work that well. And so we just had to come up with a number that was essentially a fair expectation to be able to put on people. You raised this because this is huge, whether you're a single site, multi-site, and you you can play this out at uh, launching new locations now, expanding, adding services, or even go back to when you had 30 or 40 people in that giant, you know, what probably felt like a mausoleum some Sundays. Um, <laughs> developing volunteers, developing leaders is such a huge part of doing what you do and what every church does. What have been some keys to you in, let's say, a brand new location that doesn't have a lot of momentum, because none of them tend to when you're launching them, or even in those early days of saying, God gave us the leaders that we need. How do you find them? How do you deploy them? And how do you motivate them? Yeah, finding them is always very difficult. Yeah. And it's so, you know, we make sure that we, we, we make had hard asks. Um, we're always trying to identify everybody in our leadership chain knows that they have to be mentoring or developing one person. But Daniel's done a great job with his team at building volunteer videos, uh, volunteer headquarters, volunteer check-in that any church of any size could do, and they could, they could, they, they could do it well. And so I'll let Daniel take this question and maybe talk a little bit about our volunteer training and, and the stuff you've worked on hard to kind of keep that culture. Yeah, I think the heartbeat behind it really for us, the, the original idea came from just the culture that we live in. It's really hard. I mean, I'm sure we've all tried it before. Probably everybody listening has tried to organize a, we're going to have Saturday morning volunteer training for our kids' ministry. <laughs> And you're telling people three weeks ahead and you're blocking it out and you're catering in bagels and you're doing all this. Like, it's a big deal. Like, you're putting all this work into getting people there to motivate them, to making the content good. And then you're not just going to have them come for 15 minutes. Like, you're putting all that work in. So they're going to be there for two or three hours. And we asked ourselves one time, after all that work and all those resources, what are people actually going to remember? Maybe a, a couple of things, two or three things maybe. So we're asking them to sit there for three hours. We're playing all these games. We're doing all these things. And and we're getting probably 40% of people to show up. And then you got to ask yourself what to do with the rest of them. And so that's really the idea where the video teaching training came from. And so what we've done instead is kind of create these three-minute, five-minute quick videos that people can go through on their own. And when they see the video, they answer a quick question that kind of just easy questions. It just kind of verifies they watched it. And then it shoots that leader an email and says, hey, so-and-so has completed the training. Now they're eligible to serve. And that's allowed us to get uh, 99% compliance instead of a 40% compliance with less effort, less energy, less resources. That's really good. And more and more people are moving into that through platforms like Trained Up or ones that they develop themselves, which is good. How do you find your volunteers? Like when you when you're starting out in a location or even at the beginning, 
30 or 40 people there, it's like, okay, I think you're a senior leader. Like, how do you even spot the talent? Yeah, I I think one of the big things for us is we've created a culture where it's almost like if you're not serving, you're not in a group, you're not doing those things, you almost, not in an awkward way, but you almost, you almost feel a little bit out of place. Like, it's almost like it's just, it's what everybody's doing. It's the expectation. What are you doing here if you're not serving, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so even in like our, we don't have formal membership, but even when we say like, if you'd like to partner with us, we don't say sign this paper. We don't say put your name on a roll. We say people who are partnering with us, these are the things they're doing. They're serving, they're in a group, they're giving, they're attending regularly. That's what makes you a part of this church. If you believe in the vision, that's how you show that you believe in it. It's not by checking a box or being on a roll sheet. Yeah. And I think practically speaking, Carrie, because I think sometimes we can we can talk too, oversimplify. Yeah, or talk too broad. Even I think we have something we call next. If we're just practically mm-hmm. speaking, and that is huge for us. It's a booklet. It happens every other month that we encourage everybody who's a first time guest at Next Level Church to get into Next. The first step is hand in a Connect card. If you hand in your Connect card, we're going to donate five dollars on behalf of your Connect card to Compassion. So every single guest. We donate $5 to Compassion, which now for this year becomes thousands and thousands of dollars that we show on the screen that we've given in honor of first-time guests. Why don't you be one of those guests? The next thing that happens is immediately you're contacted and asked to go to Next by the location pastor after you receive a text message. And this Next class, carry is really where the team has done an amazing job. And you leave there feeling like you should serve. And if you give correct on-ramps, leaders will be found. Mm. The problem isn't, you know, if, if there's a leader worthy of being a leader at, at your church, just give an on-ramp. Leaders will be, you'll notice leaders as long as you have on-ramps for them to be noticed. Leaders who are true leaders that are going to change an organization are rarely going to sit in the shadows when there's plenty of on-ramps for them to get involved in. So that's practically speaking one of the things our team does really well. That's super helpful. You talked about hard asks. Do you, does that mean personally, you just see somebody who's leading in the community and you're like, hey, you know, Daniel, hey, Carrie, I need you in. How do you do that? Yeah, I've gone to coffee shops and the person who keeps waiting on me every day is awesome. And I'll ask, will you be our guest service lead? Um, I'll ask anybody like that to step in that I notice as a gifting, even if they're not in the church. Mm. For us, we just say, hey, li- hey, listen. That's somebody that we could plug in. And at Next Level Church, we may be a little bit different, you know, than than some of the listeners, but I think we all agree on the essential thing, which is Jesus. You can serve at Next Level Church without being uh, a believer. That's just one of our, uh, one of the ways that that we believe that we should uh, move forward. And so we let people serve who don't believe because we believe eventually while serving, they will believe. And mm-hmm. so we ask anybody, we ask anybody and all over the place with any, any sort of potential to join the team, step in and make a difference. Yeah, and I think it's it's critical that we have, have really taught our location pastors and they do a great job now of it. From day one, from launch moment on, you're looking for that. Like, so I think a lot of people tend to make the mistake of like launch day is so fun, it's so exciting, we've got this crowd and everything, but we're always thinking like, what about the next week? Mm. What about three weeks from then? What about Easter? What about the next big thing that's coming up? And, and so from day one, it's like, you see somebody, they've got a great smile, go up to them and say, hey, you've got a great smile. Would you mind coming early next week and just shadow and see if guest services fits you? Hey, you're doing a great job with your kids as they're just walking to check their kids in. You look like you're, you love kids. Do you love kids? Would you be willing to see a talk, talk about serving in kids? Like, 
from the moment that the doors open of that location, we have to immediately be plugging people in. So it's in. not just the broadcast announcement, hey, we need more volunteers. It's a whole lot of like personal look them in the eye, uh, put your hand on their shoulder yeah, and invite I, them in. Yeah, broadcast announcement has a chance to get, you know, maybe 10 or 20 people in bulk, but the stick percentage is extremely low from that. The personal ask, you obviously are only going to get one person at a time doing it that way, but I think you've got a 70-80% chance of that person finding the right fit and sticking with it. Totally agree. What are, for your locations, when you're seeding them, what are some keys to helping them get above 200 so you talked about some that maybe launched with 50 or 100 or you're launching a new location. You're like, yeah, we just got to hit that 200 level. What are some keys that help you get there? I think launching big mm. is a large key to the church planners that are listening. You know, we spend a good amount of money in marketing, but not only that, marketing the first weekend, but like Daniel said, if our marketing budget, and I'm just going to throw out a number, was $10,000. We wouldn't spend ten thousand on week one. We may spend six thousand on week one and four thousand of it on the rest of the month after week one, because it's very important to keep the pedal to the metal. It's very important to make a presence in a in a community much longer than one yeah. week. And so I think launching big is definitely something that we feel is very very important in order to stay over two hundred uh, after a launch. Yeah, I, th I think there's a, a distinction about what launching big means too, and I think it's important that you launch big with people who can actually come back. And I think that sometimes there's a tendency, mm. and I've even heard people get this coaching before, of like, invite all your friends from out of town to come. Like, just fill the room on launch day. Ask all the people who've helped you do anything you can to make the room feel full on launch day. And I don't, I understand the idea. Like, you want it to feel big and you want it to feel exciting. But I think you're also, that first day is setting the expectation of what is good for the second week. And so what ends up happening is you get 200 people but only a hundred of them actually have a realistic chance of coming back the next week. And so the momentum is lost. You feel this sense of disappointment. And so I would rather launch with 150 with 125 of them able to potentially come back the next week versus launch with 200, but only 50 of them with the chance to come back the next week because the momentum, the energy that goes with that, the way you're able to build is so much stronger. Yeah. And from that point on, Gary, after we launch, if you drop down to, say, 100, 150, well, we just continue to do the same things that we've always done, which is focus on health. We, we have gauges that all of our location pastors look at. We have a website that was built with each gauge. One is uh, attendance. Kids. Kids, groups. Uh, giving. Giving. Yep. Culture. Serving. Yep. And there's these gauges. And these our location pastors go to this website. They put in all the different metrics, and these gauges will, so, will show green, yellow, or red. And we just teach our location pastors that if we can stay green in each of these gauge, gauged areas, that a car drives best when the gauges are, are, are healthy. If we can stay healthy, if we can stay healthy, we're going to grow. And so, really, nothing nothing changes under two hundred. We just believe that if we continue to focus on on correct gauges in healthiness in each of these gauges, eventually eventually it will grow. And of course, little things like making sure you're shrinking rooms so that it's not awkward for people to be sitting in a room, uh, making sure that, that you're keeping the why out in front of people. Yeah, I think one thing you can't discount too is the, the idea that what got you here is what's gonna get you to the next place. And so we teach our location pastors like, hey, day one, 
I was there. Pastor Josh was driving around in the middle of the night dropping yard signs. And just because now we have more resources, just because now we have the opportunity to what we were hoping to launch with 100 then, we're hoping to launch with two or 300 now, doesn't mean that we're any less responsible for putting in the same amount of effort and digging that same ditch and putting in the same work. And so the same grit, the same guerrilla marketing, the same grind it out that we talked about at the beginning of this recording was is the same thing we expect now. Keep doing the same things. Um, one of the things, Josh, that you and I have talked about when we've gotten together is, and maybe this was a temporary strategy along the way, but I just, I want to surface it. You said, sometimes you'll swap out campus pastors. Like if you got a very small location, you need someone with kind of that relational, maybe even pastoral heart. And again, you can do that at 50, 75, 100 people. But then I don't know whether it's 200 or 400, you need someone who's maybe a little more administrative, who thinks in systems. Do you still do that? Have you done that? And can you speak into the gift mix that helps provide the right leadership at the right level? Yeah, we have done that, and we do still do that. The reality is is to lead a location of 500 people is a different gift setting than leading a location at 150 people. To lead a location at 150 people, you're going to need... In our in our in our model to be more of an entrepreneur, hmm. you're going to need to think like a someone who starts things. You're going to need need to be type A, aggressive, relentless, thinking about how to scale the organization in order to grow to a certain level. When you when you get to about 500 people or maybe 400 people, really you need a team builder. Mm-hmm. You need somebody who's just systematically thinks about teams and delegation. And and now that's not saying that there aren't personalities or people that have both of those gift settings. But I've recognized in leadership, sometimes we're asking somebody to do something they literally are not wired to do. Mm. You know, I want you to think about how it is we can grow this location from 150 to 200. There are some people who just are not wired at starting businesses or building businesses. They're more wired towards caring for the business that's already been built, just talking in business sense. Mm. But now when we go to the church world, we expect people to be able to build something from nothing into something, but they don't have the gift setting that it takes to be someone who builds something from nothing. However, they may be amazing at continuing a legacy that was already started. Neither is better, neither is worse, but different personality traits. And so I think one of the things that is very important for us, and we're always hiring location pastors, is what size is this location? And along with that size, will determine the gifts of the leader we need. Hmm. How have you, I think that's a really good insight. And sometimes you'll swap them out. It's like, well, now campus number five is, you know, 500 people. It's time for a new leader and we'll send campus pastor number five to campus number 10 or whatever. Um, But both of you have stayed in pretty consistent roles over the years. So what have been some keys? And we've we've touched on it a little bit, but I just wonder if there's more there for you to say, yeah, I was like Mr. Entrepreneurial, knew everyone by name, go out putting lawn signs on before Easter myself. But like you've had to pivot. What what are some of the key pivots you've had to make? Yeah, one of my my gifting really isn't coming over your home and having dinner every night. That's just not my gifting or you my desire. You don't have desire. the gift of food, like eating. I have the I oh, trust me. I have the gift of food. <laughs> uh, I just don't have the gift of conversation. Get and, um, and 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 so for me, early on, I was actually acting more in gifts I didn't have than now. Mm. I would say now I'm operating more in my natural giftings. 
early on, I had to compensate for my weaknesses in order to get to my strengths. Mm -hmm. And so instead of having to start at my strengths and in, in, in build from there, I started at my weaknesses so I get could get to what I was actually gifted at. So I'm better in the seat I'm in now than probably any other seat I've ever been in because I'm able to lead leaders. I'm able to uh, help our teams. I'm able to cast vision. I communicate on the weekends. And I do meet with, of course, Next Level Church people, but they're people that I have relationships with, people that I feel like are doing are in the same lane as me, people that I grow with and they grow with me. And so I would say, I don't know if you'd agree, Daniel, right now I'm probably most comfortable with where I'm at. Yeah, I agree. And I think you've allowed allowed me to do that. And a lot, like we've structured our leadership structure around who we have. Yeah, how many times around, have I asked you, do you want a different job? Yeah, all, I mean, it's it's very clear. It's like, what are you passionate about? What are you good at? Okay, let's build structure around that. Not, hey, this is what every other church org chart looks like. Like, we don't even have an org chart on paper because you can't even really, like, draw it. It's just, so we split up what most churches would call an executive pastor, just for one example. <laughs> you want to hear what it is, yeah, Gary, yeah, like do. this. So you... So you know Roman. Uh -huh. Roman handle, handles everything with a soul. Daniel handles everything without a soul. <laughs> so that, you don't want to put that on paper in the church. Really, you really that's don't. Soulless. Good, good description. Yeah, that's that's good for the souls. By the way, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, and I think that that's a perfect example though of just allowing what people are good at, and which usually goes with what they enjoy doing, and building the organization around that. But early on, you were willing to do whatever it took for us to break growth barriers. Yeah, there's a difference between willing and and there's a season where willing's required. And even with our location pastors, sometimes when a location first launches, like, guess what? You might have to run students or you might have to run kids or something for a season. There's willing, and then that's not ideal for the long run. And so we try to hopefully get as close to ideal as we can as fast as we can. Well, and I think the point is flexibility. And if you want to keep people, as the organization grows, people have to grow. And you've got to move them into a place where it's like, well, and I think you're right, you get to specialize more. Josh, you know, when you were saying that, I think that's probably true. I'm more of a visionary, more of a 30,000 foot person. But when our churches were small, I mean, I did the hospital visitation. I did the hustle. I went to the to all the meals, you know, I, I did all that stuff because that's what you need at that stage. But what got you there won't won't get you beyond it, right? Like that's not mm. going to scale to 600. It's not going to help you at a thousand. And again, the goal is mm. if you have an opportunity with your life to reach, you know, a thousand people, why would you not take it? If you have an opportunity to reach 5,000, why would you not take it? If God has given you that ability, you know, the mission of the church is endless. So... Yeah, the question to always ask is, what is best for the church that I'm leading in now? Right. What's best? And so you find you find some leaders that are starting off today, and they're expecting to not have to meet with people, and they're a church plant, and they're hoping they don't have to meet with people because Craig Rochelle doesn't do a lot of visits, or Carrie Newhoff doesn't do a lot of hospital visits, and I want to structure my leadership that way. And I would say, well, you're going to probably never get to the point where that's the case. You have to do what the church needs you to do now. The church needed me to do visits in the hospital when we started, when we were 100 people, when we were 150. But Carrie, the church needed me to stop doing those and to hand those away in order for us to break 200. And now, even in this season, I went in to look at the, our new website that's coming out, and the team asked me today, can you walk through it? I looked through it real quick, and they said, what do you think? And I said, I think I hired the right people, so what do you think? 
That was my question. I, 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 so what the church needs from me now is to continue to hand more and more and more off to people who I've hired and trusted more with, with, with those things. And so I think that's a wonderful question for every leader to ask. What is best right now? And how am I living in what's best right now? Preparing for what's going to be best later. Yep. Good. Guys, this has been gold. Really helpful. Thanks for opening your playbooks. Anything else you want to share? Before we wrap up today, anything else on your mind that it's like, wish we would have covered that? No, just my heartbeat is always faithfulness, yeah. Carrie. I just, you know, I think of all the church leaders, and I mean, there's there's very few platforms that are larger than, than the one God's given you, and this amazing podcast that reaches, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of people. And I, list, I, I can't help but think of all these church leaders that are under so much pressure to, to, to break certain numbers and to be a certain person. And they're always comparing themselves mm-hmm. like I often find myself. And so, Carrie, I think, I think we would be wise just to simply say, be faithful with where God's called you because you may be at 100 people and you may feel called to more. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen because it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. God can do in a moment what a man would take a lifetime in trying to break doors down to accomplish. And so I think staying faithful. And, and once one more thing, Carrie, I think you'd agree Man, there is nothing to be ashamed about using your calling and gifting at reaching and leading 100 people. And if that's a season someone's in, praise God for that pastor right now who's faithful at 100 people, believing for more. Because some days it's a little easier to be faithful with 1,000 people than it is 100 people. And so praise God for the leaders that are listening to this podcast, wanting to grow, but yet not throwing in the towel because they haven't seen what they've hoped to see yet. Really well said. Really well said. And, and I agree. I think there's great honor in leading. You know, if you're leading 10 people, 100 people, it, it, it's not a comparison game. It's mm-hmm. a question of how are you going to leverage the mission that God has given you? And at the end yeah. of the day, I, I think we all have a level, like my job is to fully obey God and trust Him with the consequences. And that's not new Amen. with me. That's Charles Stanley, by the way, if you're wondering. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, uh, your, your material on, on the Breaking 200 and the barriers, by the way, I just want to say it's great. We did that for all of our location pastors, and our locations are over 200. So you had mentioned something that barriers, th- this, this material meets all needs. I just want to confirm that our locations of 400, 800, 1,000, the principles are are golden no matter what the size of the church. And so we played that for all of our location pastors and watched the videos, and it was wonderful. I appreciate you saying that. You were actually one of the first people to give me that feedback. I remember you texted me and you said, hey, man, this is working for like 600, 800. And I think the like board governance, for example, which is not a major issue for you guys, but can be for a lot of people, that really shows up at four to 600. Uh, Daniel, what you were talking about, like, you know, the first thing is, okay, it's got to get off the lead pastor's table, but then maybe at 400, 600, 800, it has to come off your plate and then off the next, like, it's all those layers in that you run into leadership mm-hmm. development issues. Daniel, any anything on your heart, your mind that you would like to leave leaders with or that we didn't cover? No, I appreciate you having me on, but uh, just thank you for everything you've done for us. Appreciate you and, and Jeff and all the guys up there, you know, having us up for visits and, and always being available for phone calls with them. We've learned so much from you guys and the issues you guys are facing in, in Canada, even culturally before 
they sometimes make their way down to the States and uh, just appreciate your heart. Uh, you guys have been amazing friends to us and to me. And uh, it's funny, as we were recording this, I'm like, I'm going to send Jeff Brody an early copy of this, you know, the audio for this. <laughs> <laughs> he, he would have loved this conversation. Um, guys, people are going to want to know more. First of all, Josh, tell them about your podcast, which is growing every month. And it's a great yeah. podcast. I'm a subscriber. And then where they can find Next Level Church online. Yeah, Joshua Gadden Leadership Podcast is a podcast where we talk a lot about what we're talking about right now, just real raw, authentic conversations on how to do church in real time. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so it's been it's been fun. Uh, Next Level Church is just nextlevel.church and just honored to do life. If anybody needs anything from us, we're always here as always. And um, excited, excited to continue to push the ball downfield and see lives changed. And as I've said more than once, if you guys are ever in New England, you got to drop by Next Level's broadcast location because it's amazing. I think, is it 14,000 square feet? Is that it? Yeah. 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 And all that God it's our has smallest. done. No, all God has done through through you and through vision and I mean, because you think of mega church and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, it's some big stadium and, you know, 10 million square feet. <laughs> nope. This is a converted garage, like mechanics yeah. garage that you guys have turned into a hub for ministry that's transforming a whole region of the country and beyond. So kudos to you. Yeah. And thanks for your faithfulness. We like to think leadership. we... We like to think we make mega church available for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> that is an awesome place. So I know we're all uh, living in a world, we're all living in our universe, but I love how you have stewarded what God has given you. And it's inspiring to me and anybody who's visited you guys. And uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate it, guys. Thank you. That's so honest and so real, isn't it, man? I hope that encouraged you. I really, really do. Um, well, Thousands of pastors have experienced the same problem. If that is your issue, whether it's 75 people, 150, 250, 500, you can't get past. Um, it just doesn't have to be that way. Just like, and, and like I said in the interview, Josh uh, approached me and he said, hey man, we've used that course for all of our campuses. It's helping. So we want to help you break your attendance barrier without breaking you in the process. So if you're ready to join the hundreds of pastors who have broken through that 200 mark, uh, now's the time because this is your last call for the lowest price that Breaking 200 will be offered at. It's going to be going up in a few days. Find out more at Breaking200Course.com. Well, I really hope this has helped you guys. We're back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. Adam Hamilton is my guest. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.